welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Manuera. Good morning. It is really good to be back in church. Brian agrees. It's just good, isn't it? I've missed it. That's for sure. Where you gone, Paul? I thought my preaching was reasonable. I didn't know you had to walk out. It's the world that it is. I mean, I'm still touching it, but I was basically trying to sterilize the book that I've been holding. In case somebody Things else fathers it. do, sterilize books. Yeah. <laughs> Roles have changed a lot in these times. Paul, Paul and Kate, I, I, just come up here, the two of you, for a minute. I, this is why I, I, I mentioned this, but I feel like this. I, I, I feel like today we should mark something with you two. This is base camp. We've we've got to base camp. Well done. And uh, the next leg of the journey is to the summit, taking this group and a few hundred more to the summit. And uh, every time we're around, you're always impressed by you. Sue and I love you very much. That's why we come back here. We travel to friends and family. That's pretty much our lives. We really do. You've always impressed us, your faithfulness. seems every time we come back, you've had another bit of a battle somewhere and you've had another bit of a blessing somewhere. But you don't quit. Second Corinthians chapter 4, my translation of a whole chapter. I'm down, but not out. But quitting is not an option. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You can read the whole chapter if you like, but my translation is much quicker. <laughs> the, uh, I often joke and call him Apostle Rocky just for fun. I sometimes get told off. But, but you know, when you've been in that many movies, you probably are an apostle. But he said it's, it's, it's not how hard you hit that counts. It's how many hits you can take and keep moving forwards. And that's you guys. That's both of you. And I just want to honor you today. I just want to, I just want to pray for you. Uh, so I was just hesitating. I just want to pray for you because um, it's time for a new breed of leaders. And you are those leaders. And uh, there's three things that come to my mind. I've, I've written them down before, but uh, and there's probably four because I usually do quadrants, but I've got three for you this morning. The celebrators, not the celebrated. And that's you guys. You're celebrators. You're not bothered if anybody celebrates you or not, as long as your people get celebrated, as long as your King Jesus gets celebrated, as long as the worship celebrates him. You're, you're, you're celebrators. You're also guides and not heroes. You're great guides, guiding people through life, through the passage and the struggles and the traumas and the challenges and the celebrations of life. And you're givers of permission. And they're the leaders that this next season's going to need, the Sherpas, who, who, take, who take the people to the summit. And I do actually believe that, that the summit wasn't really a word until Sir Edmund Hillary. And then Winston Churchill made it a place where people gather for a meeting. And so you've done the two. You're leading people to the top and you're creating a place where people gather for a meeting. And, and Father, I'm just asking today that you would bless Paul and Kate in this next season 
that you would release your favor and your blessing to a new level. I pray for fresh revelation for them. But most of all, I pray that they will hear the applause of heaven as they keep doing what they've always done, which is point to Jesus, pursue the lost, gather the hungry, and pursue the reformation, the revival, the transformation of a city as they send out street angels because their hearts break that there are people out there who don't know their way. As, as they do all the things they've done, I pray that this will be a season of peace, of blessing, of favor, of increase, and of gathering. So thank you for them. Thank you for what they're doing here in Scarborough. But may what they do touch the ends of the earth. And Father, in every area of deficit in their lives, every challenge in their lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally, Father, I ask that your presence and your power and your provision will heal them, ready for the next leg of this journey as they lead their people to the summit. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Thanks, God. I would normally hug you and kiss you and things like that, but apparently we're not allowed to do that. <laughs> you have two great leaders. Sue and I travel around the world. We know what they look like. And that's a little bit, I guess, of what I might sort of talk about this morning. So if you haven't been here, um, whenever it was, Friday night, Mordecai. There is no Esther 4.14 without Mordecai because Mordecai adopt, adopted Esther, what, who I call the orphaned influencer. We need Mordecais. These two are Mordecais. When you come into this church family, they're looking because they're, they're looking to adopt you. They're, they're, they're looking for the orphaned influencers. They're, they're looking for the ones that have never found a place before so that they can be celebrated and promoted and championed and sent out to change the world. And then on Saturday, we had those few seminars. And, and for my part, uh, I talked about purification and beautification, the, uh, the 12 months of Esther getting ready. I believe that we've come through a season of purification and beautification that is preparing us for this next leg of the journey. And last night, I played around a little bit with the story, but took the, the picture where the king gives Esther permission to come into the throne room and that we must be people who live with the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony in the midst of everything we do, and that that represents the presence of God, the power of God, the principles of God, and the provision of God. And uh, to close, I, I want us to land on Esther 4.14, but, but I want to land there and talk about something. Now, some of you will go away and study this some more, and that's totally fine. And, and I'm I'm not an expert in it, but I've, I've been scratching around uh, something which is in our world, and that is called imposter syndrome. 
And they say that imposter syndrome affects about 70% of people. And it's this fear that if people discovered who I really am, that, you know, they wouldn't follow me, listen to me, like me, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's a very real part of a lot of people's lives. And there are various people out there who talk about it and they say, oh, you know, you can get over imposter syndrome by sharing about it a lot, talking about it a lot. Uh, but I, I've discovered something. And uh, in a, a little piece of study on this subject, I've discovered something. The way to kill imposter syndrome in you and me is to change the way you think, which is repent. We change the way we think. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs of Apple fame, he had that famous phrase, think different. That's the answer. That's why there are Steve Jobs around. People who are world changers, who don't know God, but they learn to think different. So I believe that Esther 4.14 is a moment when Esther was challenged. Are you going to believe what you think, or are you going to believe what God thinks about you? And every one of us, is that the title of this message this morning is something along the lines of get the imposter out of here. I'm going to give you a few examples, but more than anything else, I want to challenge you. You can't change your story. Your life story is your life story, but you can change the narrative of your story. And with God, with, with, with Him, with the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we get to change the story by applying His narrative. You see, your story might be that you were lost, but the narrative is that He found you. You might have a story that says, I was broken, abused, nobody valued me. But the narrative is, you met King Jesus. I believe that the world right now is a storytelling world, and a lot of people are talking about stories and narratives, but a story and a narrative are two different things. And you cannot change your story. I can't change my story that my dad died when I was 15. That story cannot be changed. But my narrative can either be a narrative of loss and poor me or a narrative of how God used my loss, redeemed it, and raised me up to be a father, I believe a father in a nation and a father evangelist. And that's not my arrogance that's my confidence and saying, that's my narrative. There are some incredible examples of this in the Bible. I'm just going to give you, uh, I'm going to play around with a couple of them. Um, this is probably one day a series. If you can find a this verse for it, Paul, we can probably do it one year. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's always a this verse. There's a lot of them in the Bible. And, uh, you know, we, there, there are just um, incredible examples. Let's, let's have a look at this one. Saul, King Saul, am I not a Benjamite 
of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak to me in this way? Let's jump forward to another guy who had the same name. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness was in the law, found blameless. Same tribe, different narrative. We could, we could unpack so much more of this. You see, the apostle Paul chose to believe who God said he was. There's probably nobody... Nobody who had a story that could have been used to discredit themselves except that Paul chose to believe what happened on the road to Damascus. He chose to believe it, he internalized it, and he lived out of that for the rest of his life. But Saul, oh Saul, if you, you, know, you, you can study it. I mean, Saul was the biggest guy around. There were so many things about him that would have made people think he's going to be a great king. But Saul never beat, to quote the Winston Churchill phrase, never beat the black dog inside of himself. He never conquered the black dog. you got David, though, who takes over from Saul, of course. But Saul, he was jealous of David all along. And yet David, when he was anointed, was left out in the field. But Saul was pointed out as the most obvious. You look at the journey that Saul took to actually be anointed king and the supernatural, miraculous things that had happened, you'd have thought that he would have absolutely believed that he was the man for the job, but he never beat that voice on the inside. He lived with an imposter syndrome, and yet David didn't. You see, we all have this choice. You could look at Gideon. Gideon, when God says, mighty man of valor, Gideon didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. He did say, hey, well, maybe you need to just give me a second word. Give me a second word, and I might believe what you say about me. My challenge to you today is this. Will you believe what God says about you? Will you apply the kingdom narrative to your life? Or will you live for the rest of your life with that black dog, you know what I mean, that black dog, that negative, that barking, criticizing voice inside yourself. Which one are you going to believe? Now, when I was listening to some of the things on imposter syndrome, one of the interesting things I heard was that your body doesn't know the difference between fear and excitement. Physically, it, it pretty much reacts the same way. So you have an opportunity. If you're feeling afraid, just... Tell your body it's excitement. Like if you're walking up to preach and like, oh, I'm afraid. No, you don't need to be. Hey, I'm excited. I get to do this. Your body doesn't actually physically know the difference. So you have to think different. You see, Esther had a moment. It's fascinating. There was obviously a little bit of exchange went on in the story of Esther um, and um, you, you see a bit of an exchange starts in about verse 9 of, of chapter 4. Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. 
And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. And then Mordecai told, told them to reply to Esther. And, uh, and then we get this great verse, which incidentally has another phrase before the phrase of this conference. The phrase, the phrase before it is, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come from someone else. For who knows? If you have not attained royalty, entered into the kingdom, Paul's preferred translation. Is that the right way it's saying? Paul prefers the kingdom one. I do too. For such a time as this. Esther is sitting in a moment when she has a choice. Am I going to believe that or that? And every one of us, I believe, live our lives with a choice, something like that. I, I get this. I, I think in, in a lot of times in my life, I've definitely struggled with an imposter syndrome. I've struggled with that thing. Gosh, if people really knew what was going on inside of me, would they be listening to me? Or when I was working the prison service, you know, would they follow me? Would they do what I say if they knew what was going on inside of me, if, if they knew how insecure I feel about this situation? We have to conquer that. And the way to conquer it is to think differently. There's a, a, a fun illustration in one of the things that I, I was listening to, and that is, I think, it's Daniel Boone, who, who was famous for sort of, you know, tales of the wilderness. And uh, he, he says something like this, I was never lost but I was bewildered for three days. You see, what you're doing is you're, you're changing a narrative about your life. What's your narrative? What's your prevailing narrative? Because this is the difference between world changers and people who don't change the world. Now, when I say world changers, I'm talking about changing my world, not the whole world. That might come later. Every one of us has our world. And every one of us is being given an opportunity to change our world and to silence that imposter voice by thinking differently. You can't change your story. You can't change what's happened to you. When we think about this, this season, and, and, you know, it's such a true description. Somebody said it right at the beginning. We're all in the same storm. We're not all in the same boat. And that is so true, especially when you've watched the people who seem, you know, it felt like my news feed at one stage, everyone I knew had a second home that seemed to be somewhere nice. You know, it's like, I mean, it, it felt that way, didn't it? We can't change the story, but we can change the narrative. And we can apply a kingdom narrative so that we can be like Esther. When Mordecai says, here's the narrative of your life. See, she would have had nagging doubts when she, I'm an orphan. And they don't even know that I'm a Jew. What if they found out? She had every reason to feel like she was an imposter. I mean, in some respects, she actually was. But was she going to believe that story or was she going to apply the narrative that she was uniquely positioned, that she had been led 
through that whole sequence to be appointed queen in place of Vashti, to be positioned by God at the exact right place for that moment. See, every one of us, every one of us have a unique opportunity in life to touch people, to, to see people, to go to places, to influence every one of us. And if we can just believe that we have become royalty, we have entered into the kingdom for such a time as this, that we carry something that nobody else carries, that we have access that no one else has, that we, we have a voice that no one else has. Will you dare to believe that? We've got to get the imposter out of here, out of our lives. And, and I mean, Sue knows, I, I, I've, I've battled some of that stuff. Put myself down, question my anointing, question my ability. Just be real. But I don't live there. Now, it's okay to have imposter moments. Just don't have an imposter life. Beat those moments. Learn to recognize what's happening. Position yourself so that you can hear the voice of a Mordecai that's saying to you, you got here for such a time as this. This is our moment. It's our moment. My first ever message on this verse here was this, in a nutshell. If we've attained royalty for such a time as this, what time is it? What time is it? I believe this. I believe it's revival time. I believe it's reformation time. I believe it's renaissance time. I believe that we are an identity generation who know who we are. I believe that we're a destiny generation who know why we're alive. I believe we're a heaven on earth generation to bring the supernatural into every situation that we face. And I believe that we're a kingdom generation to expand the influence of the king to every sphere of influence on this planet. That's what time it is. And this is our time. Our moment in history. And because of this pandemic, we should be even more aware. There's a world that needs us. There are people in our churches, people that we haven't been in the same room with for 15 months who are going to walk in here and they've been through different battles and different trials than you have. But here's the thing. You have the words for them. You have the comfort for them. Uniquely. And that's why last night I was saying, will you be present for each other? Will we not be in such a hurry to say how tough it's been for us or what we need that we miss hearing? where someone else is, so that we can inject, as it were, the words, the comfort, the prayer that that person uniquely needs. You have attained royalty for such a time as this. The imposter will tell you, no, I don't have anything to give. 
But heaven will say, no, I got you ready. I prepared you. I beautified you, purified you. I put you in exactly the right place. You became Queen Esther for such a time as this. I want to challenge you, examine your story and ask yourself, have I defined myself by my failures, my weaknesses, my mistakes? Or have I allowed heaven to touch every one of those and redeem them? One of the principles that I, of my life, I believe, is this. He redeems the lows and repeats the highs. It's his nature. He'll take any low point of your life and he will redeem it. He, he will turn it into something valuable that you can give away to other people. And he will take the testimonies, the victories, the successes, and he will repeat them because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's how he works. And that's how you reframe your story by creating the narrative of heaven. That's where I get my little phrase from, he wastes nothing, he gets you ready. It's my translation of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Stick with me, it's easier to read the Bible. He wastes nothing, he gets you ready. Much quicker. I can paraphrase whole chapters. I'm down but not out and quitting's not an option. Got it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, done. I'm being slightly funny, but sometimes I think it's good to do that. You see, this helps us to create a narrative for our story. I'm down, but not out. Quitting's not an option. See, it's a way of giving yourself a narrative to a season of your life. And then it's a way of giving yourself strength and going, yeah, I was, but he picked me up. Do you know where hope is birthed? It's not birthed when you win the lottery. It's birthed in the wilderness of Hosea, there in the wilderness. He opened the doorway of hope in the valley of trouble. See, that's where hope's birthed. That's, that's why you, you construct an, a narrative. Your story was in the valley of trouble, in the wilderness. But the narrative is he opened the doorway of hope. I know without any shadow of a doubt that he really does waste nothing and he does get you ready. I could stand here and talk to you probably for a couple of hours and I could tell you life moments which he hasn't wasted that he allows me to give away. I believe that as, and this is a significant weekend, the reopening of the doors of this building. People coming back in and worshipping God and being here together in this way. This is a significant moment. I want to challenge you. Get the imposter out of here. Get ready for what God is about to do. Because he needs to know that you know who you are. You know why you're alive. You know where you're going. You know the influence that your life has. 
I don't think the world has ever been in greater need of people who know who they are, know why they're alive, know where they're going, and know the influence that their life can have. See, the Bible is full of so many illustrations. Look, look at Moses. Moses gets told, you're going to you know, set my people free. And Moses goes, no, I'm wrong guy. Can't really speak very well. Gideon, mighty man of valor. No, it doesn't sound like me. But then we've got the great examples. The great example of the apostle Paul. You know, he, he's killing Christians. I mean, talk about disqualified. I wonder how many times he battled the imposter on, on that journey of preparation. And he takes his years away and just does tent making. And he's, he's, you know, he's just out there, not preaching, not traveling. How many times did he battle the imposter? But, but what, the evidence to me is this. He must have kept going back over what God, was said to him on the road to Damascus. That he got that so deep inside himself that the imposter couldn't stay. He had a power encounter. He got knocked off the horse. He saw a blinding light. He lost his sight. He heard the voice of Jesus. This is Jesus who you are persecuting. He heard the message that said, I have appointed you to be the voice to the Gentiles. He must have absolutely believed that because you see the evidence of his life, of every, every word he wrote. See, he didn't go into situations, oh, I'm the wrong guy to be here. Really not qualified at all. I used, to, I used to try and kill you guys. You should be really afraid of me. I'm totally unqualified. No. He could easily have said, yeah, I used my study of Scripture to prove that this was all nonsense. No, he didn't do that. He said, I didn't come with clever words. I come with a demonstration of power because I experienced the power of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. It knocked me off a horse. It was a blinding light. I know who I am and I know why I'm alive. That's what the world needs from us. Get the imposter out of here. If you're having an imposter moment, just think, where's Mordecai? What would Mordecai say to me now? What message would he send to me now? I believe that it's time. It's time to review our story and make sure that we've got the right narrative attached to our story. That if we've been abused in the past, what's our narrative now? He healed. He restores. We've been through the dark night of the soul. What's our narrative? Joy came in the morning. We've suffered loss and grief. What's our narrative? He comforted. He's the wounded healer. The world is waiting for the Esthers. Whatever a male Esther would be called. But it's kind of fun to have the problem that we're talking more about a woman than a man, isn't it? 
Esther, Esther managed to get the imposter out of the way. She removed any doubts. They don't even know that I'm a Jew. How did I get here? But, you know, am I the right person? No, she, she removed that out of the way. She heard what Mordecai said. If you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come from someone else. For who knows if you have not got this position for such a time as this. She hadn't seen the king for 30 days. She hadn't been summoned into the presence of the king for 30 days. She risked her life by putting her robe on, hovering opposite where the throne room was and where the throne was. She'd fasted with everyone outside. She risked everything. But she'd made sure that there was no imposter thinking. She knew, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to be here. Because I got given this place for such a time as this. You see, she was adopted. She was covered by Mordecai. She was purified. She was beautified. She was focused. And she got fearless. I want to tell you this. If the imposter spirit is hovering around in your head, you don't have any of that. You get rid of the imposter. You see, the difference between people who struggle with the imposter thinking and those who don't is as simple as this. They think differently. They've repented. I mentioned yesterday morning that you could compare the purification and the beautification with Romans 3.23. We repent from sin, but we repent unto glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We repent from, but we also repent unto She purified herself herself from, but she beautified herself unto. This is our great opportunity. It's been tiring, been frustrating. It's been lonely for some. It's had lots of loss in it. It's had disappointment in it. It's had fear. It's had the unknown in it. It's had the frustration of seeing how different people cope with it and criticize governments and politicians and scientists and all sorts of stuff. But I believe that we are on the edge of one of the greatest moments in history. And who knows if you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Will you get the imposter out of your thinking? There's just a few things I want to say by way of ending and then I'm going to pray for you. Number one, remember your encounters. Remember the moments when he's spoken to you. Now your encounters include the day you gave your life to Jesus, the most important encounter you'll ever have. They include Encounters when you've discovered that you're a son or a daughter. Encounters when you've been healed. Encounters when you've read the Word and you've read one sentence in the Bible and you had an encounter. I had one of those three months ago. I read something in the Bible like, oh my gosh, if you'd put Paul Manwaring there, it couldn't have been clearer. Encounters when we've been on the floor. Encounters when we've been in worship. Encounters when someone's laid hands on us. Encounters when someone's hugged us. Encounters when he's spoken to us with the still small voice of God. Because every one of those encounters 
is a key to you living without the imposter spirit. Because if you'll remind yourself of those encounters, you will remember what heaven says about you. You will remind yourself that you're a son, a daughter of the king. You're a prince. You're a princess. You're a mighty warrior. You've been got ready to set the people free. You'll remind yourself of what heaven has said by your encounters. And the apostle Paul, you can check his story, reread his encounter. His encounter was the ultimate encounter. It was relational. It was emotional. It was powerful. It was purposeful. It was directional. It was intentional. It's the most extraordinary encounter. Check your encounters and remind yourself of what heaven has said. You might not keep journals, but I'd encourage you, at least keep a note of some of the high points of your Christian life. Scribble it in your Bible. Remind yourself. Encounters. Check your narrative. What's your narrative of your life? How do you describe yourself? My wife and I have had a little, a little bit of an interaction with one or two people involved in... Uh, in the anonymous groups, like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics. And obviously they do wonderful work. But my wife and I have a slight frustration. Why, after 18 years of being free, do you go to a meeting where you stand up and say, I'm an alcoholic? That's the wrong narrative. Now, I'm not saying those groups aren't amazing. They do some fantastic stuff. I've sent people to them. But we have a superior narrative. Because he doesn't use that language. That might be a step on the way to something, and I'm good with that. But it shouldn't be a way we think. Check your narrative. What's the narrative you apply to you, to your life, to your story? What is that? Check your narrative. Check the language you use. Are you putting yourself down? Or are you embracing what God says about you? God's narrative for you and then finally there's a I, I heard a great preacher with this message I, one of these days I'll just risk my own version of his message a guy called Dr. David Ireland preached a message and the message was Jacob leaned on his staff I mean, when you hear the title, you think, how's he going to get a message out of it? It was probably the, one of the best 60-minute preaches I've ever heard in my life. Here's, what, here's the, the, the principle he was applying. When Jacob leaned on his staff, which is in Genesis and Hebrews, when Jacob leaned on his staff, his staff was marked with all the testimonies of his life. That staff would have shown where the kids were born. It would marked with the victories, with the testimony, with the night wrestling with the angel, with when he was given a new name. When he leaned on his staff, he was leaning on the testimonies of his life. So I want to encourage you. Remind yourself of your encounters. Review your narrative. And lean on your staff. And all of this will help you. To change the way you think. Because you can't rely on your feelings. Because you can walk up here to preach and you're not quite sure what you're feeling. And you might be 
scared or you might be excited. Your body doesn't know the difference, but you can change the way you think by leaning on your staff, by checking your encounters and reviewing your narrative. I think the scariest preaching moment of my life was actually the easiest preaching moment of my life. Because when I walked onto the stage to preach in Nuremberg to 26,000 people, which sounds crazy, that I got to do that. But I had a word. I had a word that I would do it. And I walked onto that stage knowing that he put me there. And the imposter didn't stand a chance that day because I had a word. And I remind myself of that quite often. And I encourage you to live that way. Because if you remind yourself of your encounters, you remind yourself of the word. And then when you get that word, you can reframe the narrative of your life according to the word that you've been given. And then over time, you can lean on your staff and the testimonies and the victories. I can apply it even to praying for the sick. Because when somebody stands in front of you, it can sometimes feel a little scary that somebody is asking you to pray for them and pray for something that is utterly impossible. And the challenge is to shut the imposter up inside that says, who am I that I would pray for you? But then you remind yourself of the encounters you've had when you've prayed for people and God's shown up. And you can reframe your narrative and go, yeah, I, I work healing. I'm a healer. I'm a miracle worker. Only because there's a miracle working God working through me. And then you can stand in front of people who have an impossible situation and lean on your staff with a bunch of testimonies. Does this make sense? Let's get the imposter out. Let's be who God says we are. Gideon, mighty man of valor. Moses, you're going to set my people free. David. I mean, David's, we could have stayed on David for the whole time, couldn't we? Murderous adulterer, man after God's own heart. Same guy. Blows me away, that one. Just blows me away. And Jesus is known as a son of David. Incredible, isn't it? Esther heard the message from Mordecai. If you remain silent, we're all in trouble. And you won't escape that just because you're in the palace. Because everyone who's a Jew is going to suffer the same fate. This one's on you, though, Esther. Just you. There's one voice in the palace. One person positioned uniquely, and it's you. What are you going to do? Which voice in your head are you going to listen to? Because who knows if you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. You stand. I believe right now 
There is an anointing in this room for miracles, to receive them, but perhaps more importantly, to be people who release the healing power of heaven. There are unique assignments being released. You're going to see addicts set free, Brian. You're going to see them set free with one prayer. You're going to break the lie that they have to go through courses and programs and, and go away for six months. You're, you're going to see addicts set free. The desire of your heart. You're going to see post-traumatic stress disorder healed in moments. Moments. Miracle working on the streets. Wildest dreams, Brian. Wildest dreams. Just begin to receive. What are the breakthroughs you want to see in people's lives? Ask right now for them. Ask. Ask right now. Cancer destroyed. The deaf here. The poor receive the gospel. Victims of abuse healed. Placed in a family. Anointings to bring wisdom into businesses that multiply their profits, their productivity, but more than that, their service to mankind. Just ask him. There's an anointing in the room right now for you to receive what you need for the assignment of your life. There are grief counselors in this room. They're being got ready right now. They're going to use their, their experience to counsel, but it will lead people to Jesus. It will, it will be extraordinary. Father, Today we make a decision. We're kicking the imposter out of our lives. We're not going to live in doubt. We're not going to live in the fear of thinking that if people found out the struggles of our lives, they wouldn't like us, they wouldn't follow us, they wouldn't listen to us, they wouldn't want to know us. We cancel the lie. And we choose to listen to the voice that says who we really are that we've attained royalty for such a time as this, where sons and daughters of the king, princes and princesses, kings and queens, world changers and history makers. We silence the black dog, as it were, the nagging doubt, 
And we will march out of this pandemic experience with boldness and with confidence. We will lean on our staff. We will lean on the testimonies and the victories. We will lean on the encounters. We will lean on the comfort that we have received from the comforter. We will lean on the provision that we have received from the provider. We will lean on the healing that we have received from the healer. We will lean on the prophecies that we have received from the one who knows the beginning from the end. We will lean on our staff and we will march out of this pandemic as Esthers who know that we have a unique place, a unique sphere of influence, a unique voice, and that we're fearless. We've been adopted. We are covered by the King. We've been purified from our past. We've been beautified for our future. We are focused and we are fearless. Bless this house, Father. Bless this summit house. May it become too small. May it be an overflow of another place. Bless it, Father. May it be famous, not because of Paul and Kate, Brian and Shona or any other leaders. May it be famous because this is a place where when people walk in here, they change the way they think. And they become Esthers. They become adopted, purified, beautified, covered, focused, and fearless. May it be famous for that. Father, thank you that you are who you say you are. I pray that you will give us the courage to be who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.